I developed a dull headache and I had it all the time, never left. I woke up with it and I went to bed with it and it fluctuated in severity, but never left. Even to this day, I've had that headache for over three years. Welcome to this week's episode of Let's Talk. It's been a minute since we've been together, but what you will learn about family, faith, and fundraising after a devastating diagnosis is worth the wait. What's interesting about my guest, Sydney Severance, is that she's only 19 years old, but her experience after being diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos cranial cervical instability has made her stronger and wiser. Take a listen. today? I'm doing okay today. Um, this week has been a tough one. I mean, with chronic illness, there's a lot of ups and downs, but um, I'm optimistic that next week will be better. You were just in the hospital a couple of days ago. Can you tell us about that? Um, yes, ma'am. Uh, I have a port and that really has its advantages to help give me fluids. It's a central line, but it can also leave one really vulnerable to infection. And so I was dealing with um, some pretty serious infections the past couple weeks. So Sydney, let's go back a little bit before your diagnosis. Um, Let's talk about some of your hobbies and things that you like to do and just growing up in Charleston and just being Sydney Severance. So I first became sick in March of 2020 when I was 15, but before I got sick, I was a nationally competitive tennis player and participated in um, musical theater and dance. School was one of my main priorities. I'm a bit of a shameless nerd and naturally just really curious, so I loved school and was incredibly outgoing and outdoorsy. A lot of friends would go on the boat and the beach a lot and just really enjoyed life a lot and I never thought that I would become chronically ill. I really didn't even know much about chronic illness in general and what it meant. Sydney, what were some of the first symptoms that you remember? Were those symptoms starting to present in 2020 or do you remember anything even before that? I was um, really a a healthy kid. Um, There were some signs that we now look back on and realize that they were caused by my underlying connective tissue disorder, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and that was just being super hypermobile and flexible. I could easily do splits and kick my leg over my head and get into the most odd positions, and I thought it was fun, and everyone thought it was just a weird quirk, Um, and we Mm -hmm. never thought that it could be a sign of a connective tissue disorder. And I also got injured a lot. Um, Doctors always just said that I was unlucky and I um, just was a very active kid and prone to injuries. I tore my Achilles partially four times from the ages 11 to 14 and was constantly spraining my ankles in a boot and crutches. But we just thought it was from overuse from tennis. We never really thought that it could be a connective tissue disorder causing it. And when you're a child, you don't even think about chronic illness. You know, you might you think it's probably a part of the aging process. It's not something that we really think very much about unless we see perhaps a loved one who is directly impacted by a chronic illness. Right. I just really didn't understand it. And I never thought that, like, it was something that affected so many people and so many young people. I just was 
ignorant of it because I didn't experience it and I didn't know anyone who experienced it at the time. And because you were so active, it kind of made sense. You do more, right. so you are more prone to injuries. At, at least it's real easy right. to think that. Yes, it, it makes sense that we never thought it was something bigger. We never thought that. When did the symptoms become alarming to you? So in 2020, I got a virus, likely mono, and it was at the same time where I was hitting puberty, which is a lot of the time when people with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome start to get really sick is when they hit puberty and when they have a traumatic event. So it was kind of the perfect storm for me in the spring of 2020. And that's when I developed a dull headache and I had it all the time, never left. I woke up with it and I went to bed with it and it fluctuated in severity, but never left. Even to this day, I've had that headache for over three years, but that's, that's when it started. I didn't think too much of it. I took a lot of Tylenol, Advil. It wasn't until summer of 2020 where it really became alarming and I kept complaining to my parents about it. That's when I first really brought it to their attention and they noticed that I just kept complaining about this persistent headache and it started to turn into a lot of like light sensitivity and I couldn't handle noise. I became a lot less social and would kind of withdraw to my room and like to be in the dark. I even would take naps in my mom's closet because it was the darkest place in our house. And that's kind of when my family started to be alarmed. I um, am a bit of a people pleaser and never wanted to cause trouble. So Mm -hmm. I tried to downplay it, but eventually they became very alarmed and we started seeing doctors in the summer of 2020. And and your father is a an administrator at the hospital. Um, your mom, great caretaker. So they were doing everything they could and making sure that you had the access to the very best care. And yet, doctors weren't able to determine what was happening. Both of my parents are just my biggest advocates. I'm mm-hmm. so grateful them but doctors were really just stumped I saw so many specialists because over the summer I started to deteriorate and lose a lot of weight um, vomit daily have significant vertigo my vision I started to have trouble seeing and rain my ears and just had to spend most of my day in bed because I had a lot of trouble being upright the headaches would get worse positionally so I had to lie down and was just in a lot of pain. I can't imagine how this must have been affecting you mentally. Is that something that you can kind of describe how you felt, you know, when you can't get any relief from your own body? I was honestly terrified because we were in and out of the hospital for pain control and no one really knew what was wrong with me. I started to lose the ability to walk over the fall of 2020 and had to drop out of school and just everything that I knew kind of started to fade away. And you rallied support from your family and your friends. They were also, I imagine, very important to make you um, feel as if you should not give up hope, even though I'm sure a lot of days you felt discouraged. I'm so grateful for my family because that was really one of the big constants in my life and they were always there for me and they kind of kept me looking towards the positive side and kept telling me that this wasn't how it was going to be forever and just giving me hope and I just knew that even when I couldn't fight for myself they were going to keep fighting for me so I think I'm just very very lucky to have a family like like mine. 
And and you're not an only child, right? No, ma'am. I am the oldest of four. We are back to back. Overall, um, I think it was just the people in my life and my faith. I'm Christian, and my faith really brought me a lot of a lot of peace. Mm-hmm. I never thought that God did this to me. I just thought that you know it was something that was happening. Everyone deals with adversity, and that He would get me through it and help me derive purpose out mm-hmm. of my suffering so between my faith and my support system I think that's what really got me through it mm-hmm. let's talk about uh, a little bit about this particular condition is there any genetic component is it something that your siblings have had to be tested for is there any family history you've described the condition as very rare so actually it's not rare Hyper- Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is thought to affect one in 500 people. So it's really pretty common. It's just doctors uh, don't often accurately diagnose it. A lot of people are um, misdiagnosed with fibromyalgia or pain conditions or even sent to psychiatric hospitals. It's um, not... mm, there's not a lot of education about it, so some doctors uh, don't really know what it is, but it's definitely not rare. A lot of the comorbidities, uh, like craniocervical instability, are more rare. Okay, so that illness- that's the portion of it that's rare. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And um, actually, the genetic lab, the Norris lab at MUSC that I spoke about earlier, they're looking into the genetic they're trying to identify a gene, and they actually have identified a candidate gene for hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, because right now there's no genetic test for the condition. It is only like a clinical exam to test um, how one's joints bend, and um, among other things, but they're trying to identify the genes which will be really helpful for um, people to get an earlier diagnosis. Because if I were diagnosed earlier, I would have um, stayed away from very strenuous sports like S and dance. And maybe I could have prevented some of these comorbidities that I have now developed. So I think it's going to be very, very helpful um, when there is genetic testing for this condition. So is there anything that people should be aware of symptoms that would have been indicative of this condition? Um, I think that one of the main signs, especially early on, is just being extremely hypermobile. Like if your joints bend backwards and it's very easy to rest in extremely odd positions, that is one sign that can indicate that you might need to get checked up for hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. But it presents so differently in mm-hmm. different people that it is hard to... Um, it's hard to say. <laughs> November 17th, 2020 was a day that you've described as a day that things really changed for you. Tell me about that appointment and tell me about your relationship with Dr. Sunil Patel at the Medical University of South Carolina. He's also a personal hero of mine as he's also my neurosurgeon. So we have that in common. Yes. <laughs> wow. He is just amazing. Um, he is so talented and gifted and he really just took the time to listen to everything, read my chart and just listen to all of my symptoms and what made things worse and what helped. And he was the first doctor that gave an explanation that made sense for all of my symptoms. 
He also was the first to bring up Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and diagnosed me with the connective tissue disorder hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which I had never heard of. But he performed the Biton test and made that diagnosis and did a flexion extension upright x-ray that gave him the suspicion that I had this thing called craniocervical instability, but he said I needed an upright MRI image to confirm the diagnosis. An upright MRI. Now, very often when we think about an MRI, we think of the tube that you slide into. It's uncomfortable for a lot of people, but this is an upright MRI. So can you describe that, Sydney? Yes, this one's more open, so you're not um, stuck in a tube, which is really helpful if you're claustrophobic. It's open and you are able to either stand or sit and there is room for you to um, move your head and like tilt it back and flex and extend it so that it can show what your spine looks like weight bearing, which for me was a lot different than Mm -hmm. when I was laying down. I had had 10 MRIs of my brain and spine in a supine position, so horizontally, Mm -hmm. and showed any issues. But we kept saying, do it again, please do it again, because I kept getting worse and worse. Right. But it wasn't until I had this upright MRI that showed that my head was not being supported by the loose ligaments in my neck, which was ultimately causing micro trauma to my brain stem. So kind of think of a bobblehead where your head's just kind of bouncing around. That was basically me. Wow, what a way to illustrate that really helps us to put it into perspective what you were going through. So this is what cranial cervical instability is and and how it manifested in your body that your ligaments, your neck can't support your head. Is that correct? Yes, and that's ultimately I had to become completely bed bound because it was too difficult for me to sit up. And this was what caused CCI or craniocervical instability is what caused that difficulty to sit upright and caused me to be completely horizontal in a laying down wheelchair or in my bed laying down. Any ideas about the causes of this condition? I honestly think that's a big mystery that um, there is a lab called the Norris Lab at MUSC that is looking into the genetics behind hypermobile EDS and... um, looking into the causes and all of that but I don't think that that's something that anyone really knows right now it seems to be a mystery but I hope that they figure it out soon. Sydney let's talk about surgery and treatment for you what did you have to undergo to treat your condition? So I had to get a skull to C3 spinal fusion which was no walk in the park it was a very painful difficult surgery but it gave me a lot of hope and was the first step towards getting healthier. So although it was really painful, it was honestly nothing compared to what I'd already been going through for many months. So you go through the surgery and lots of treatment, rehabilitation, amazingly challenging, but you didn't stop there. You know, you go through all of this and then you make the decision to try to raise money so that others could benefit from this very valuable tool, the upright MRI. How did you come to the decision that you need to raise money so that MUSC could have this um, this piece of equipment available for others? So after my skull to C3 fusion, at this point I had lost all coordination in my legs and so I had to relearn how to walk. And so I was sent to this physical therapist 
um, that a lot of other EDS and CCI patients are sent to. And so it was the first time I met other people that had Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and craniocerebral instability and were going through the same thing as me. And after hearing their horror stories about traveling to get upright MRI imaging, I just thought, wow, I'm, I, it was a time where I thought, wow, I'm really lucky that my parents had the resources to get me to this upright MRI machine because currently there's no upright MRI in the state and it's really difficult to travel when you're so, so sick. Where did you go for the upright MRI? So at the time, there was one in the state in Greenville. It currently is no longer um, there, actually. So it's um, at the time it was there, and a family friend was able to help us uh, fly privately to get there because I was in a really awful state, and it was either that or we were going to have to pay for an ambulance to take me there. It was it was really horrific for me, and it was a lot of, you know, screaming and crying and just oh being in such horrible pain because you had to be upright and move your neck. And once I was so far downhill by the time I got this imaging that it was a traumatic experience for me. And for so many other patients, I mean, one patient told me that she had 18 seizures on the oh. way to the upright MRI. Or some others couldn't even afford to travel or physically couldn't go, so they're unable to get this formal diagnosis and therefore unable to get treatment. So I just feel lucky that I was even able to go. And then to complicate things further, the upright MRI in Greenville actually did my imaging incorrectly. Oh, my gosh. So I had to be flown to Baltimore to get um, additional imaging. So I ended up having to go travel even further so I just it was kind of a train wreck and I just didn't I thought it was silly as Dr. Patel was you know one of the world-known neurosurgeons for this specific condition why didn't he have the tool he needed and right. when I asked him why he didn't have one in Charleston he told me that he'd been wanting one for over a decade but that they're very expensive and I just thought you know, I really think we should get one here, and why can't we? And then I looked up the price, and I was like, oh, my goodness, it is very expensive. But that was kind of when I first had the idea, and I talked to my parents about it and my family, and we just decided, you know, this is something we all feel very passionately about, and we're going to try to fundraise for an upright MRI. And so we talked to the fundraising department at the Medical University of South Carolina, and that's really how it started a little over two years ago. And what's really impressive about it, there are so many things that make you impressive to anyone listening, but your age at the time. I mean, you know, it, it's enough to think about a child having a lemonade stand, but the price of this machine was over a million dollars. And you have now come up with the idea, I'm going to raise the money to buy this machine. Yes, it was, um, I'd never done any type of fundraising before, so it was all very foreign to me, um, but it was, it really gave me a purpose. For most of the time when I was fundraising, I was mostly bed-bound, which made it difficult. I did some public speaking opportunities when I was well. 
that one of the events I even had the opportunity to speak with Miss America 2020, who also has EDS, and I was scheduled to speak after her, and I went in a little nervous, but then she spoke, and I was a lot more nervous because she was so polished, and I was just a teenager speaking to a large audience for the first time, but I just kind of really was passionate about it and so I did things that scared me I started spreading awareness through social media I got help to start a website to start a blog to share my journey and spread education about it which really brought in a lot of very generous donors who had a heart for people suffering I also sold handmade crochet tops I started a nonprofit called beautifully bound because I think that no matter what we look like or how sick we are or how our bodies function or don't function, that God loves us and we're all beautifully bound. So I, I started that and sold a lot of crochet items. Uh, my generous friends helped organize events that raised awareness and money. One of my best friends organized a concert and I was able to go and speak there. There were just a lot of people that came together to help for this cause and I couldn't have done it without the Charleston community and my friends and family. What was your fundraising goal to purchase an MRI, the upright MRI? So my fundraising goal after talking to the MUSC fundraising department, they told me that if I raised $1.2 million that they would cover the other um, 800000 and that they would cover that, but then to move the machine and create a space for it and all of that. But I had to raise money for the actual machine itself. And that was very overwhelming to hear because um, $1.2 million is a lot of money. And at the time I was 16 and I couldn't even grasp how much money that was, honestly. But over time, you know, I just kind of dove in and Eventually, we've reached our goal. Mm-hmm. When did you reach the goal? This April. Uh-huh. So pretty re- I was so exciting. I, I can't imagine um, what that feeling was like, that sense of purpose, and, and just knowing that you have done something that will change lives in such a big way. Thank you. <laughs> it's not just me. It's everyone that donated, no matter how big their donation. One dollar or a hundred thousand, everyone, so many people contributed to this and made it possible. And it was much bigger than just me. Yeah. And while you are, I imagine, empowered and feeling um, really excited about some of the successes on one end, you were still dealing with very serious medical issues. Yes. So unfortunately, after the school to see through fusion, I didn't just get better after all of that PT. It helped with that specific issue. But the nature of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is that one keeps having issues and keeps having surgeries. So I had, since then, I've had nine additional surgeries and over 20 procedures, been in and out of the hospital very frequently. Um, And that's just the nature of the disease. I'm not unique. Other people go through the same thing. And yes, my case is very severe, but there are so many people that I've met that go through the same thing. It doesn't just stop. It it keeps going. And you learn to adjust and your life changes a lot. You've endured more than most people. Your attitude, incredibly positive. You 
offer all kinds of affirmations, things that people can kind of center their focus on, even when they are facing a particular challenge. And it doesn't even have to just be a medical challenge. How do you support your own mental wellness? And, and why do you think it's important that people lean into their mental wellness, even if they aren't physically well? Right. I think that's just crucial. Yes. Healthy. Yeah. No matter if you're healthy or not healthy physically, I think it's incredibly important to focus on your mental health. Um, I'll come back to my family, how they've just been so incredible and really come together to face life with me. My parents both work full time, but are always seem to be there for me. And my grandma, Millie, my mom's mom, moved in with us to take care of me so that both of my parents could continue their full-time jobs. She was just a living angel and just really kept me smiling no matter what. She shared a room with me when I was at my worst with cardboard windows blocking out all the light, even when I couldn't even talk because the noise bothered me so much. She would just be there so I wouldn't feel so alone. Mm. I siblings my three siblings they schooled online with me this past year to help with everything and to help my parents take care of me they're my best friends honestly and my faith gave me a lot of peace i just i think that therapy is also incredibly important Mm -hmm. for anyone going through struggles with their health or not going through struggles with their health i think it's just helpful no matter what and just Focusing on a healthy mind is critical. Mm-hmm. Sydney, what are next steps and, and how can we continue supporting you with prayers and positive thoughts or financially? What do you want us to know about supporting you and what we can expect next from Sydney Severance? <laughs> so I really love to spread awareness through social media on my account, Operation Upright. And even though the fundraiser um, has met its goal, I will continue to write blogs and just kind of share my health journey because I found that to be an incredibly positive thing and a great outlet for me to just spread awareness. It's become a big passion of mine. So I will continue to do that. I also just graduated high school. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Going to college in the fall. Um, it's my dream to, you know, pursue medicine, pursue a career in medicine eventually and help people that are going through similar things that I've had to deal with. That's mm-hmm. just um, a big thing that helps remind me to keep going because I want to help people that are in my position and don't necessarily have doctors that um, have been educated on the specific disease that they have. And so that's kind of my plan for the future. I know that I'll continue to deal with health issues, but I will just keep, keep going the best I can and try to approach life from a hopeful outlook. (laughs) (laughs) Sydney Severance, it has been such a joy to speak with you and to hear your story. Um, You are making great strides in the community and in the world, and we just encourage you to keep moving forward. Is there anything we haven't discussed that you want people to know about Operation Upright or about Sydney Severance? Operation Upright hasn't just been a fundraiser to me. To me, um, Operation Upright has been a personal mission to live Mm -hmm. life upright. 
because throughout the past three years, my spinal issues have made it difficult to be physically upright. I've spent months and months living life completely horizontal. So Operation Upright reminds me to not take the little things for granted, like being able to sit upright, to stand, to walk, to see, to eat. These are things that I used to do every day and that most people do every day. And I didn't used to actively be grateful for these things because of, I used to, you know, think that these abilities were expected, but they can be taken away. And when they come back, it's a gift. So. Mm -hmm. I just like to remind myself that the little things that I am able to do are are gifts and to just not take it for granted anymore. For this episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk is produced by Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, so please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye until the next time.